Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant. But no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. We've got a huge game this week in Philadelphia. The Celtics and the Sixers going at it for the right to be called the best team in the Eastern Conference. That is a game that is going to have a lot of good bets available for it. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MANIX. New customers can get $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. I want to thank everyone who's listening on their podcast feed. If you are not subscribed to the show, what are you waiting for? Get over to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, hit that subscribe button so that you get this pod in your feed every single week. So this is one of those weeks that I am really grateful that 
I get to do this show because we have so much to talk about. We had a big event last weekend headlined by Ryan Garcia. Garcia gets the stoppage win over Oscar Duarte, knocks him out in the eighth round. But it was not a win that came without questions for Ryan Garcia, who did some kind of strange things during that fight that we're going to talk about. There was also a whole lot of drama between Ryan and his promoters, Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins. We're going to unpack that as well. And then this weekend, Saturday night, DAZN pay-per-view, you have got Devin Haney against Regis Progre, the best against the best, the former undisputed champion at 135 pounds in Devin Haney, and the guy I think is the top dog at 140, the title holder, Regis Progre. This is going to be a tremendous event. It's already been a tremendous promotion. You've got an anticipated sellout at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Not one of those like sold out, but it's really scaled for like 5,000. They're talking about 18, 19,000 fans in the Chase Center on Saturday in San Francisco. That is remarkable for two guys who have really yet to prove that they can be big time draws. So the crowd is going to be electric. I mentioned the promotion has been terrific. There is some legitimate bad blood between Regis Progre and Devin Haney and legitimate bad blood between the camps of Regis Progre and the camps of Devin Haney. So I think it's going to be a terrific event. You've got the master boxer in Haney against the master brawler in Regis Progre. A terrific clash of style. It's going to be a fun night and a great fight to talk about uh, on this podcast. Keith Ideck, senior writer, BoxingScene.com, good friend of the podcast. He's going to join me to talk about Everything from the Garcia stuff, the Garcia Golden Boy stuff, Haney Progre, Jaime Munguia, he's now in the mix to potentially fight Canelo Alvarez. We're going to get into that as well. A little bit later, Regis Progre himself, he joins the show. Regis has done a lot of media over the last couple of months. He joins me to talk about the preparation for this fight, why he believes he can outbox Haney, and why he believes he is the better fighter, and he will show it on Saturday night. So stick around for that conversation with Regis Progray. One housekeeping item. I'm headed to San Francisco on Thursday morning. So by the time you listen to this, uh, I will already be in San Fran. I'm going to try to do a second podcast this week. I'm going to try to bring you one Saturday morning. Uh, I'm going to try to catch some people, maybe some people on the undercard, maybe track down Eddie Hearn, maybe another writer. But I'm going to bring you a second podcast for this week, because I think this event is worth it. I think there's just so much to get into and so many things to unpack when it comes to Haney and Progray. We are going to do a second podcast later in the week. All right, Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He'll be with me in San Francisco this weekend for the Devin Haney-Regis Progray 140-pound title fight. It's a fight you can watch live on DAZN pay-per-view in the U.S. And Keith, I was thinking about this earlier in the week. Uh... Devin Haney wins. He would have a pretty good case to be called fighter of the year, but he wouldn't be the only one. This is about as crowded a fighter of the year field I can remember. I mean, David Benavidez has a good case. Devin Haney, if he wins, has a good case. Uh, hell, Noyoy Inouye has a great case if he winds up winning his 122-pound unification fight uh, at the end of the month. Is this as crowded a, a field for the fighter of the year, as as you can remember? It's pretty crowded, Chris. So one thing I would say is that if he had fought twice, I think Terrence Crawford would run away with the award, to be honest with you, because his win against Spence was so decisive and so unforeseen in the way that it unfolded. 
Uh, it was a great win. It's a career defining win, but he's only fought once. And if you look at what Inouye will have done, if he beats Marlon Topolis in the way that people expect that he will, he'll become the fully unified champion in a second division within four months or five months or so of each other. Uh, I guess it would be five, right? Yeah, five for July and and December. It's hard to argue against Inouye winning fighter of the year. Um you know, David Benavidez's wins were very good. I mean, he beat Andrade in a very convincing fashion. He, you know, he he pulled away from Plant in the second half of the fight. Clearly, you could make an argument for him. Um, I think be, if Inouye wins decisive, like say he knocks out Marlon Tapalis and becomes the fully unified 122-pound champion, I think people will tend to give the award to him just because he fought twice. I could also see the argument, though, for Crawford because his win was so significant and he was so dominant against an undefeated fighter. Uh, I could see people making that argument. It's not really his fault that he didn't fight twice. I mean, he signed up for this immediate rematch and it's not happening, you know, until sometime in the first quarter of 2024 or whatever's going to happen here with PBC. So it's hard to hold that against him because he wanted he wanted the fight to happen the first fight to happen sooner than it did and certainly wanted the rematch to happen before the end of the year um yeah there, there's plenty of arguments to be made for all those guys but um yeah, activity is important and i do think people will hold that against crawford unfortunately and that will just give terence crawford more ammunition to fire off on his critics which he seems to enjoy anyway so you know yeah th this is one of those uh ballots where i think style points could matter here. Like if Devin Haney goes out and absolutely dominates Regis Progre, giving him a win over Lomachenko officially and over Progre, that's going to be a pretty compelling argument. If Inouye goes out and blasts out Marlon Tapales to have, you know, a knockout win over Stephen Fulton and a knockout win over Marlon Tapales in your first two fights, 122 pounds, that's a pretty strong argument as well. So I think style points are going to matter. Uh, when people start filling out their ballots uh, at the end of the year. We'll, we'll get back to to that topic uh, at a later date. I want to talk about Ryan Garcia and, and the way the fight between Ryan Garcia and Oscar Duarte played out this past weekend. Ryan makes his return, first fight uh, officially, you know, out of the 135-pound division. Uh, he gets a knockout win over Oscar Duarte. Before we get to any of that, Keith, what I saw playing out last week between Ryan Garcia and his promoters, Bernard Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya, was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Because here you have the star of Golden Boy Promotions, Ryan Garcia, one of the biggest stars, most bankable stars in boxing today. In the days prior to what is a really important fight for his career, he has spent that time in pretty toxic arguments with his two promoters. It all kind of began early in the week when Bernard Hopkins made some kind of comment where he suggested that he, Bernard Hopkins, would make an assessment on how Ryan Garcia's career should continue after he watched Ryan Garcia fight. Ryan took exception to that. Oscar De La Hoya weighed in on social media. Ryan took exception to that. I was down there in Houston all week, Keith. That was a frosty dynamic between Ryan Garcia and his promoters. And, and sometimes when stuff like this happens, sometimes I wonder, like, what piece I'm missing. Like, you know, Oscar and Bernard are 
doing this for a reason, right? They have to be doing this for a reason. There's got to be some method to the madness. For the life of me, days later, I can't figure out the method to the madness. I can't figure out why. Leading into the biggest fight of Ryan Garcia's career up until that point, because he needed to get a win, a loss would have been catastrophic for him, why his promoters would be engaging him like that, would be creating a distraction effectively out of nothing like that. I still cannot figure out why what I saw go down actually went down. So you tell me, what was your take on the back and forth all week long between Ryan Garcia and Golden Boy Promotions? Yeah, Chris, it it was sort of the theater of the absurd, right? I mean, you, they're supposed to be boosting this kid's career up. And I don't think Oscar, in this case, he, he has done it in the past where he's antagonized Ryan Garcia, but I think he was more reacting to what Ryan Garcia said at the press conference. I found it sort of hilarious that Ryan Garcia went up there and said what he said, and then Oscar just comes to the microphone and he goes, well, that wraps it up for the press conference. Thank you for coming, as if he didn't say all those crazy things. But you could see the way that Oscar was reacting in the background, like, oh, my God, we're going through this in, in real time. Uh, I think there's blame to go around here. I, I I don't know what, but, you know, Bernard doesn't hold his tongue. He never has. When he was a fighter, he was very outspoken um, and went after, after virtually everyone. Um, I don't know how it helps in any way, as you said, Chris, to antagonize Ryan Garcia with whom they're embroiled in this, in, in this legal dispute as it is. It's kind of weird that, you know, it, it's not common for a fighter and a promoter to be engaged in legal proceedings and then going forward with the fight together. That doesn't usually happen. So that made it a strange circumstance in itself. Um, I don't know what any of them are getting out of it. I mean, there are people that will tell you that this is all a work, that this that, that this is all manufactured drama. I don't, I don't, I believe, don't think so. I don't, I don't believe that either. But it would be some work if they were doing that, right? I mean, to just try to generate interest in the fight and everything. But um, I, look, I I understand Ryan Garcia taking exception to Bernard saying something to the effect that he's going to decide whether Ryan Garcia, I don't know if he literally meant that. I just think he was saying that that's kind of his perspective on it. I don't think he was saying that he would be the the final decider of whether Ryan Garcia would fight or not, but that's certainly the way Ryan Garcia took it. And then to bring the Joe Smith thing up about, you know, what he said about Calzaghe back in 2008 and then say, you know, I'm never going to lose to a white boy. And then, uh, and then Joe Smith knocked him out of the ring that was a low blow, so to speak. But I think Ryan Garcia was pissed off. And he's like, you know, these are two, the all three of these guys have big egos, as we all know. Um, they're all alpha males and they're just butting heads here. And Ryan Garcia was not going, I think he was trying to show the old guard. I'm not backing down from this. You're not just going to come up here and say whatever you want to say about me. And I'm just going to sit here and take it, you know? So he's standing up for himself to some degree. It doesn't play out well for any of them in public. I don't think. Um, but I think this is it, it, as weird as it was, I think it, it will continue until they go their separate ways. And, and from Golden Boy's perspective, they're not going to allow that to happen if, you know, if they if they emerge victorious from this legal proceeding, which they think that they will. He's a very valuable commodity that they've helped build up. Now, he's helped build his own uh, you know, profile, of course, on social media and everything, but they've invested a lot of time, a lot of money, and they've stuck with him through injuries and some mental health issues and everything. So 
He's now one of the biggest stars in boxing, one of the most bankable stars in boxing, and he's a valuable commodity. So they're not just going to walk away from that unless he pays them an enormous amount of money to go their separate ways. So they're kind of, it's like a toxic marriage that you can't get out of in the short term anyway. So they're kind of stuck with each other. And from our, from the perspective of the media and from fans, you know, again, it's the theater of the absurd, but but people it's drawing a lot of attention it's a lot of negative attention but it kind of is what it is and i don't don't see how it changes moving forward yeah i can't tell if the i don't think the negative attention was an overall plus for you know the audience for ryan garcia oscar duarte i i don't i don't see how that benefited the event and more importantly if you're golden boy like this is the guy generating all the money And, and look it's one thing to have big egos Lots of promoters have big egos. Eddie Hearn has a massive ego. Bob Arum has a big ego. Frank Warren has a big ego. But I can't envision any of those promoters operating like this. Like, could you imagine, Keith, like for an example, like Eddie Hearn, who never even, never comes close to crossing Anthony Joshua ever, like consistently backs Anthony Joshua to the hilt. Could you imagine him going out there and antagonizing Anthony Joshua before his comeback fight against Jermaine Franklin? Like, could you imagine that? Like, people have pointed out to me, well, Bob Arum and Terrence Crawford had bad blood towards the end. They did, but for a long time, Bob Arum, you know, was Terrence Crawford's greatest advocate, was was behind him all the way. And only at the very end, when things had really devolved for a multitude of reasons, did things go sour between Bob Arum and uh, and Terrence Crawford? Same thing with Frank Warren and Tyson Fury. Frank Warren, like, whatever Tyson Fury says he wants to do, if Tyson Fury says he wants to box on Mars, Frank Warren's going to call that the greatest idea he's ever heard. So it, it's, it, you just, I can't fathom them doing this. And look, th- this was, again, not reactionary. This was proactive. Bernard said what he said in an interview. Oscar De La Hoya weighed in multiple times on social media. This, the last time, more abhorrently than others, like questioning the mental health of Ryan Garcia. Someone that's gone through mental health issues. That tweet was later deleted, but that was out there for everyone to ultimately see. I, I just don't get it. This is a guy, this, is, this isn't biting the hand that, fit, that feeds you. This is like sticking it in the guillotine and swiping it off. Like, I, I, don't, I just don't understand what the thinking is, unless, to your point... You know, they believe they've got the greatest contract ever. Like, they believe they've got Ryan, you know, locked in to a multi-year contract, which is what they believe. And no matter what they say to them or what they do, that contract is still going to be valid at the end of the day. And they're probably banking on Ryan not wanting to be inactive for any period of time. That's something Ryan said over and over again. I don't want to take time off. I don't want to be inactive. I've had too many bouts of that already uh, early in my career. So maybe they believe they're... Uh, in a position of strength here. I, I still don't understand it. Though. I still don't get why they would um, they would take that approach when it comes to Ryan Garcia, especially since it's like, we've kind of seen this already, right? Like, you know, it was a few years ago, Canelo went through this, you know, with Golden Boy for some different reasons, of course. Canelo um, contractually had some things going on, but like they, they had a, a bad relationship with Canelo towards the end. Now you have a bad relationship uh, with Ryan Garcia. Um, to Golden Boy's credit, they still keep signing guys. Like, Floyd Schofield can fight. Like, that's a talented really, yeah. Yeah, young really kid. Like, they they keep churning out prospects at as good a rate or better as most promotional outfits that are out there. But um, I, I just don't understand 
why you'd want to butt heads with your star fighter, especially when he's a couple of days before his biggest fight. So let's talk about that fight. Uh, Oscar Duarte, you knew it was going to be a physical fight. Oscar Duarte is a big, strong guy. Uh, you saw them at the weigh-in. Oscar Duarte had no problem filling up to the 143-pound uh, catch weight that they agreed upon. Uh, Ryan Garcia ultimately gets the knockout. He was up on the scorecards the time of the knockout. It was not a fight that wasn't without its fault problems. Ryan Garcia decides to channel his inner Floyd Mayweather in the middle rounds of that fight, does kind of a, a shoulder roll defense. Uh what was your take on on how Ryan fought last Saturday? It was an uneven performance, Chris. You know, I I didn't think he looked particularly good overall. Um, you know, I'm sure he's trying to adjust to some of the things that Derek James is teaching him. They always say a, tra- a new trainer and a fighter need multiple training camps before he can really start to implement what the trainer's teaching him. And sometimes if you don't have a good student, he's never going to implement any of what you're teaching him anyway. I'm not saying that's the case with Garcia, but I didn't expect to see the best Ryan Garcia in this fight because he has a new trainer. He's coming off the first loss of his career, and there there is a mental impact as it relates to getting in the ring for the first time since you've been knocked out. Um, You know, when he went to the shoulder roll, you made a very astute observation during the broadcast when you said that, you know, maybe he's trying to protect the right side of his body. Maybe there's still some vulnerability there because, you know, he he was knocked out with a body punch uh, by Javante Davis in his last fight. I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a lingering issue. Who knows? I mean, he seemed to dismiss that sort of when you mentioned it to him in the post-fight interview, but that almost made me believe more that maybe there's something there because he was just, he just kind of brushed past it uh, because it was an odd strategy. I mean, the way he, it wasn't effective. I don't know what he, and so what was he accomplishing besides protecting the right side of his body where, you know, comp- almost halfway turned around or, or almost all the way turned around where Duarte couldn't get to his body. And Duarte had thrown a lot of body punches before that point in the fight and seemingly was hell-bent on getting to his body. So maybe that had something to do with it. Look, ultimately, it goes down as an eighth-round knockout for Ryan Garcia. He did, in the end, he did what he was supposed to do to a lightweight. If you're a big puncher, and this fight was technically a welterweight fight. It wasn't even a junior welterweight fight. And Oscar Duarte is coming up in weight by, you know, two two divisions technically. He did what he was supposed to do. He got an eighth round knockout. Wasn't easy. Wasn't pretty. Didn't look nearly as good as he has looked in other fights. But he got the job done. You move forward. And now there are a lot of very attractive fights for Ryan Garcia in the 140-pound division. And the bottom line is... Whatever people think of Ryan Garcia, whether you, you know, older people like me and, uh, you know, be a much older people even who who don't like this social media world that we live in and this, uh, you know, the way that people have been built into stars and everything. The bottom line is this kid is a star. So and usually he knocks people out, which boxing fans also love. You know, I understand that people are going to react negatively to some of the things that he does and says and all that kind of stuff. That's the case with most boxers. But uh, you you can't deny that the kid is a valuable commodity to Golden Boy and to, you know, obviously to the sport in general. And people are going to, when he fights, people are going to want to see him fight. Much like, and I'm not comparing him to Floyd Mayweather, that's not what I mean at all, but people either want to, you know, you're a big Ryan Garcia fan, whether you're a 12-year-old girl or you're from California, whatever the case might be, or you want somebody to knock him out like Javante Davis did. But people will will tune in when he fights. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, The shoulder roll was strange. I'm with you. You know, 
the only explanation that made sense at that time was that Ryan Garcia was trying to protect that right side because he said after the fight he was trying to slow the momentum of Oscar Duarte. Uh, what momentum? Like Duarte was down four zip on my scorecard you know, when Ryan made that transition to that shoulder roll. And it obviously wasn't something that he had worked on in camp because he admitted afterwards, Derek James was like, stop doing that. Like, I don't know why you were, were doing that, but it's not <laughs> kind of, it's not what we work on there. So it, it didn't make, it just, it was so weird. Like it just didn't make any sense. He was winning the fight. Uh, and then he goes into a defense that he hadn't worked on and wasn't particularly good at. Uh, he eventually went back to kind of that movement. And look, I was fine with the movement. In fact, I think the movement is probably a good thing for Ryan Garcia. I said this on air. Like, Ryan is not going to have the physical gifts at 135 or 140 that he had at 135. He's not going to be the biggest guy out there. He's not going to be able to walk everybody down. So if he's able to move... Uh, and he's going to get better at that when he, as he gets another training camp with Derek and, and more activity. If he's able to move, plant his feet, throw counter shots, like there's there's a dangerous fighter in there fighting that particular style. But the shoulder roll was was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, the stoppage, by the way, I don't know if you had an opinion on that. I thought it was perfectly fine. You know, Oscar Duarte's yeah. out there saying, you know, the referee did me wrong. But if you get up at nine and a half, that's your way of not getting up. You know, getting up at nine and a half is your way of getting up after the fight's been waved off because you want to save face at the press conference later. You want to be able to tell people, I got up, I got up. I don't know what this referee was talking about. He was pretty clear-eyed as the ref was counting. He heard eight, the ref was right in his face, and he didn't get up. I thought the referee made the right call in waving that fight off. Yeah, and the referee, James Green, was right in, literally right in his face yeah. counting. So there was no discrepancy about what the count was or anything. Look, the the only instance I would give the fighter the benefit of the doubt getting up at nine, nine and a half is if you're badly hurt and you barely could reach your feet and you do just in the nick of time, then I could see you saying, well, you know, I, uh, geez, man, the guy just knocked me silly with a left hook and give me a chance to you know, regain my bearings and all that kind of stuff. In that case, I could see it. If you're on one knee and you're waiting four or five seconds to get up, do not wait until he counts to nine to do that because you're putting him in a position where he has to count you out. I had no problem whatsoever with what James Green did. Um, Duarte just waited too long. If he tries to get up at, if he gets up at eight, we're not talking about this. I mean, he probably gets knocked out anyway because Ryan Garcia is a good finisher, great puncher and all that. And he's in with a bigger, stronger guy. So probably loses by knockout anyway. But I, I'm with you, Chris, in that like, don't wait till nine, nine and a half and then spring up and say, hey, what the hell are you doing? I mean, if you're asking for problems when you do that, and if you're in that position, if you're a fighter in that position, Dude, your career is on, you know, this is the biggest fight of your career. You're, everything's hanging in the balance here. Don't leave it to chance. Get up at eight. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so Ryan Garcia called out Roly Romero after the fight. And that to me makes a lot of sense because Ryan versus Roly would be, I mean, it would be a hell of a press tour. That's for sure. Because one thing Roly has shown is that he can sell a fight. Uh, he's also kind of an ideal next step opponent for Ryan Garcia, who doubles as a title holder. He does have a piece of the 140-pound crown. I saw uh, our good friend Gilbertico in the ring with Ryan Garcia wrapping a belt around his weight. I, I don't know what belt he was wearing, Keith. Is that the catchweight championship of the world that Ryan Garcia was wearing right after the fight? But he had he had some gold there afterwards, and I'm not so sure 
about that. So I, I think the WBA would be would find a way to make the Ryan Garcia Roley fight sanctioned and 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 happen if Roley's healthy. That's the other unknown in all this. I mean, Roley's been out since that questionable win over Ishmael Barroso, and uh, he has had been on some kind of medical leave for a while. We don't know what's wrong with him. Let's start with that, right? I mean, this is a very mysterious situation. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I've tried to find out. I don't. I don't know. There have been some not not to like. There have been some whispers that like it's the might be the kind of thing he doesn't come back from. Like I've heard a variety of different things about whatever is wrong Mm -hmm. with Roley. But what was wrong was enough for the WBA to sanction interim fight between O'Hara Davies and Ishmael Barroso, which was supposed to take place on the undercard of uh, Garcia against Duarte. That fight's been pushed into the future. We can get into that right. when, if and when that fight ultimately happens. But um, yeah, well, I, I don't know if Roley's healthy. Right. So we don't, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersion. I don't know. I'm not saying he's not hurt. All I'm saying is we don't know definitively what is wrong with him and how much longer he's going to be out. He did do an interview with fight hype, Sean Zatel on uh, right after Ryan Garcia fought. And he said, I'm getting healthy. That's all. That's all he really said. He said, I'm getting there and, he probably would be ready to fight Ryan Garcia in, uh, I think, March or April were the two months that Sean mentioned to him because I think that's what yeah. Ryan Garcia had said. Uh, so he said he would probably be ready for that. Like you said, Chris, the WBA's ridiculousness committee can probably come up with anything to justify them fighting next. If I'm Ismail Barroso's manager promoter whatever and there's no guarantee that he's going to beat O'Hara Davies it's you know it's a fight that could go either way let's just say and it's not Barroso's fault right I mean Barroso trained he was ready to fight O'Hara Davies had visa issues couldn't get to um to Houston for the fight how much is Ismael Barroso supposed to take he's winning on all three scorecards against Roley Romero yes he was hurt in the ninth round of that fight it's a questionable stoppage at the very least by Tony Weeks Okay, you're 40 years old. You're not in a position of power. You get this fight against O'Hara Davies, which is supposed to get it, it will get the winner, the interim title, and make you the mandatory challenger for Roly Romero. Now he's supposed to wait for O'Hara Davies to be able to get into the country or to have the fight rescheduled or whatever is going to happen. And then he's supposed to wait for Roly Romero to fight Ryan. Like, how much is this guy supposed to take? I mean, it, it's it's. I, I'm not saying the WBA won't do it because these sanctioning organizations make up the rules as they go along, as we well know. <laughs> it's just completely unfair to to Ismail Barroso. I mean, the guy's been wronged enough this year. I mean, try to do right by him now. now as is always the case in boxing, money talks. So yes, Roley and and Ryan Garcia, they'll make it a pay per view fight. Should it be a pay? No, but but it but it's a very marketable fight. Roley will sell the fight like no one else and say all kinds of crazy stuff about Ryan Garcia. Um, and Ryan Garcia, yeah, you know, and a very popular fighter, obviously. It's a very marketable fight, and it's a and it's a fight that Garcia clearly could win and then pick up one of the titles. It's just not it's just not fit. And there's no guarantee that Barroso beats Davies. All I'm saying is Ismael Barroso deserves better. And hopefully. This this will play out in his favor for a change. That the Davies fight can be rescheduled relatively soon, then the winner, assuming Roley Romero is fit to fight, gets Roley Romero next. Because Ryan Garcia has other options, Chris. I mean, you know, it's not that's not the only fight for him. Before we get to those options, the the Davies Barroso rescheduling. I don't know about that, Keith. I, I like that. 
visa issue was very strange. Like, for starters, what are we doing talking about a visa for a British fighter during fight week? Like, why would O'Hara Davies be traveling to Texas from the UK, like, on Wednesday of a fight week? You know, ordinarily, guys travel 10 days, two weeks before because they want to get their body acclimated. It sure sounds like this visa issue isn't small potatoes, isn't isn't something that they're just going to, you know, make a couple of tweaks to the paperwork and he's going to be fine, you know, getting into the U.S. early next year. I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, we, we haven't heard like, okay, it's going to get rescheduled for the undercard of Virgil Ortiz, Frederick Lawson, which is the next Golden Boy show. We haven't heard that's going to be rescheduled for the Jaime Munguia, John Ryder card, which is the Golden Boy show after that. We haven't heard any of that. So... I wonder what's going to happen there. I mean, if and if O'Hara Davies still can't get into the U.S. By the way, Golden Boy doesn't do U.K. shows. Like, they do, you know, U.S. and Mexico shows. Mm-hmm. They don't do U.K. shows. So it, that could be a problem for O'Hara Davies if he can't get uh, a visa to come into the U.S. If he doesn't, like, you could see a scenario where Ishmael Barroso says, you know what, I'll take some cash to be on the undercard of Ryan Garcia, Rolly Romero, with a guarantee to fight the winner afterwards. I mean, yes, Ishmael Barroso wants the prestige of being a world champion and deserves it after what happened in that first fight against Roley. But at the same time, he's in this for money. And there's a lot of money, I think, to be made between Ryan and Roley, enough to to get him a fight to keep him active and also to give him a nice payday in between. And look, if Ryan Garcia fought Roley Romero and beat Roley Romero, I don't doubt that the folks at Golden Boy would be perfectly fine making Ryan Garcia Barroso in that next fight, you know, just to give Ryan Garcia another chance to pick up another win. It might not be a popular fight, but... I don't think they'd mind for one second Ryan uh, getting that kind of fight. But let's say the Roller Romero fight doesn't materialize. Uh, what's the next best best option out there for him? Because you know Teofimo is not going to happen in the first couple of months of, of 2024. I don't think so. Uh, the winner of Devin Haney uh, and Regis Proger, I don't think that's going to happen in the first few months of 2024. Nor do I think that Ryan Garcia wants those kind of fights right now. One thing he's been pretty clear about is that he wants to kind of build on what he's been doing with Derek James. And why Roley was perfect is because, yeah, he's a title holder, but he's also a lower tier title holder, not a guy that is as threatening as some of the other guys that I just mentioned. What do you think are realistic options if a Roley fight can't be put together? Well, you just eliminated all of them, so I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't see it. Like, I just don't see those those guys. Uh, But obviously, the most attractive options are Tiafimo would be a mega fight, you know, for sure with Ryan Garcia. Uh, Devin Haney and, and Ryan Garcia, have, you know, have a, a lot of history and the fight's been talked about for many years. So let's just say Devin Haney. Well, what if Regis Progray wins, you know? Yeah. You know, that then maybe f- Garcia's got, I don't know how many tune-ups they're going to give, quote unquote tune-ups they're going to give Ryan Garcia. And I'm not saying that Roley Romero's a tune-up. I mean, he's the worst of the, in my opinion, of the the three champions that we just mentioned to you, Lopez, Devin Haney slash Regis Progre and him, he's the worst of those, but, uh, or the most beatable of those for Ryan Garcia. Um, but I don't know, I, you know, cause Ryan Garcia is going to make a lot of money too. So, or he's going to want to make a lot of money. So he's going to have to fight real guys too. I don't think that he would be, um, that he would shy away from, from one of those fights next, to be honest with you. I think he's looking to uh, to make a statement in the 140-pound division. I hear what you're saying. I mean, from a practicality standpoint, maybe it won't work out. But, um, you know, so so then you, know, you got to find a 140-pound contender for him. I don't know, Liam Paro. If Liam Paro beats um, 
you know, if he beats Montana Love on Saturday night in the co-feature, he's a guy who wants a big fight. You know, while it wouldn't be a title fight, Liam Parra was is undefeated and he would, you know, he would be there to fight Ryan Garcia. That's a that's a potential fight that you could make on the zone. Um, you know, there are Arnold Barboza is the other name I was thinking. There, there you Golden go. Boy just yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, Barboza is a wants a big fight because Garcia, despite that he doesn't have a title, it's still viewed as a big fight because he's Ryan yeah. Garcia. So would Barboza take that fight? I'm assuming he would, right? I mean, for the right money, I'm assuming he would take the fight. So Barboza is a good example. Um, like I said, Liam Parra's there, although he's you know promoted by Matchroom. But, um, you know, there are some options there for him. But I, I really hope he gets a higher profile fight. Um, and there are good fights there for him to be that. It's, it really just depends on what happens with this Barroso-Davies situation, Chris, like you said. And But as far as Barroso goes, time is not on his side. I mean, he looks like he's 83 years old. He's, they say he's 40. Um, so I don't know how much He was longer. like on his way to Houston. Like he, he was oh, this whole crazy. situation. That's, that's so what I mean. They, the, the guy's been so wronged and he, <laughs> and he has no real leverage or anything. So he has taken wow. step aside money before, you know, on the PBC side and everything. It's just like, you know, you just hate to see guys get, who do everything they're supposed to do from, you know, they pay their sanctioning fees. They get in eliminators, et cetera, et cetera. They do the right thing. They train their ass off. And then something beyond their control happens. And it's just like, oh, well, let Ismael Barroso go back to Florida and just go train again. And who cares? It's not right. I mean, at some point, somebody's got to say, you know, stand up for somebody to, you know, at some, you know, I'm not saying that that's us, but I'm just, it needs to be pointed out that this guy deserves better than what's happened to him over the last seven or eight months. I could see, actually see Barroso getting a shot at Ryan Garcia. Like if the, if the Davies stuff can't be put together because of, whatever logistical issues. And if Rolly Romero is not available in March or early April when Ryan wants to fight, I could see them offering Barroso that fight. I could see Barroso taking that fight because mm-hmm. it's a far more lucrative yeah. opportunity for him than whatever else might be out there. And I could see, like, I just don't think, Keith, we're going to see Ryan Garcia in a mega fight in March or April. I think when we get to the summer, that feels more realistic for Golden Boy putting Ryan Garcia in with one of those bigger names. The Teofimo one, like, I don't know what's going on with Teofimo right now. Like, he he's a very complicated guy at the moment. I know Top Rank is still trying to sort out exactly what they're going to do with him, you know, February, March, whenever it is they can bring him back. You know, a Devin Haney fight is obviously very interesting if Haney can beat Progray, but both those guys are going to want a huge amount of money guaranteed for that fight. I think it's going to be complicated in that sense. Uh, so I think, it to me, more likely than not, we see Ryan in with like a B-level contender if it's not Rolly Romero. They'll do everything they can to make a Rolly fight because that fight makes the most sense for both those guys. But if not, I could see Garcia Barroso. I could see Garcia, somebody else along those lines. Uh, maybe Barboza, but even that might be a little bit too much for Ryan you know, in that uh, that next fight. So we'll we'll have to see. I, I just, uh, I'm not confident we're going to get Ryan in a big fight in March or April. I'm just not at this point. So we'll see. It's, uh, you know, d- he definitely makes the division a lot more interesting because, you know, look, he's still got the power. <laughs> he can, he can look as kind of unorthodox as he wants for seven rounds, but eighth round comes around. You walk into one of those shots, you're going down in the way that Oscar Duarte uh, ultimately went down. All right. Let's talk about the fight that we have this weekend. I am really, really looking forward to this one. You'll be out in San Francisco. I'll be out in San Francisco. Devin Haney against Regis Progray, 140-pound title on the line. You know, the first thing that strikes me about this fight, Keith, it's selling really well. (laughs) Like, I I don't know why. I can't for the life of me figure out why 
this fight is selling as many tickets as it has at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Sure, Devin Haney, nominally from San Francisco, but he moved out of there at a young age, has not fought there in any meaningful fights. Um, Regis Progre, Houston, New Orleans, didn't really sell all that well in his hometown in his last fight. But this fight is going to do north of 15,000, and you talk to matchroom people, they're optimistic it could be a sellout. Uh, Why has this fight caught fire in that area the way that it has? That's a great question, Chris. But the one thing I would say is they price the tickets smartly. Oftentimes, the tickets are so expensive that it turns people off from going to the event. And they didn't do that here. Uh, so that, I'm sure, has been a benefit. Um, I don't I don't really know the answer. I, I'm pleasantly surprised that this is the case. Um you know, Devin Haney's people will tell you that it's because he's a rising star and people want to see him fight. I'm not saying that's not part of it, um, but his last fight, you know, a lot of people think that Vasily Lomachenko won. It was, a, you know, I'm not saying it was controversial. It's a fight that could have gone either way. It's not a robbery. We've been over this before on the on the uh, podcast, and I, and I agree with what Devin Haney has said during the buildup to this fight that, you know, any close fight now, he, he'll say that he definitively won, which I'm not sure about either, but um, neither fighter won eight rounds as Dave Moretti scored 116, 112 for, for Devin Haney. Um, but it was a close fight that could have gone either way. So it's not like he's coming off some scintillating performance or some vicious knockout. You know, he's the reason people, you know, line up, blocks and blocks down to watch Javante Davis fight is because he knocks people the F out. He's, he's the most violent finisher in, in boxing for the most part. So people like Deontay Wilder in the heavyweight division, you know, at a moment's notice, the fight can be over that I'm not Devin Haney has accomplished more in the lightweight division, of course, than Javante Davis, but that's why Javante Davis is a superstar. Devin Haney doesn't fight that way. That doesn't mean that he can't become popular um, but that's, you know, his style isn't such that people are going to gravitate toward that. Uh, he's a very good boxer. Um, but I I really wish I had a better answer for you, Chris, I, other than to say that I, again, I'm pleasantly surprised because we don't have nearly enough ticket sellers in this sport on any, with any sort of consistency. So to see one emerging, and maybe also we've tapped into a market here that mm. none of us n- knew existed because I've been covering boxing for 26, 27 years and I don't remember uh, a real fight like this being in San Francisco. There hasn't been one. There was one, I believe at one point, there was an HBO boxing after dark in San Francisco at some point, maybe with Kareem, maybe. maybe. I, I might even be misremembering that, but uh, it's not a boxing market. So maybe that's part of it too. You know, pe- it's a novelty. And of course, look, it's the home arena for the Golden State Warriors, as you, you well know. You know, they're maybe giving discounted tickets to Warrior season ticket holders and things like, you know, packages and things like that to kind of get people. It's a novelty. The boxing generally doesn't come or high level boxing like this generally does not come to the San Francisco market. So maybe there's some intrigue in that sense. Um, but again, it's a good thing for the sport. And maybe we've tapped into something because Haney was saying, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I want to come back and fight here again. Now, of course, the outcome of Saturday night has a lot <laughs> to do with that, but maybe Maybe they're onto something. And 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 Matchroom's defense, Matchroom has taken a lot of criticism since they've entered this market for quote unquote not knowing what they're doing in terms of selling tickets in the United States. And some of the criticism is justified. But if this event winds up being the success 
the legitimate success that people seem to think it's going to be, well, they deserve some credit for that. Yeah, you used the word novelty, and I think that is the right word. I think for this market, which has not hosted a major boxing event, and when I say the market, you can throw the whole Bay Area in, like really since the days of Andre Ward, when he was putting on you know, you know, some big fights out in Oakland. It, it hasn't had that um, in some time or really ever. Uh, and I think there's something to that being kind of a magnet, that drawing some people in. There's a lot of people in the San Francisco area. There's a lot of money in the San Francisco mm -hmm. area. Like there's, I think there's a lot of people, and I think you'll have a lot of kind of casual boxing fans that are kind of going to show up and check this out. They hear the name Devin Haney. They're familiar with it. Uh, I think the promotion for this fight has been really good. Like it's been, uh, the buildup has been have been solid overall. So I think there's there's something to the newness of an event like this in this area that's helped uh, these kind of ticket sales. But I tell you, it's going to be great to to kind of be in that building and feel you know seventeen, eighteen thousand fans, whatever it ultimately winds up being. I mean, I've been in that building when there have been that many fans for Golden State Warriors games. It's a great crowd. Um, I'm curious if these are all Devin Haney fans. I'm sure what he's introduced as being from San Francisco, they'll get him a pop. You know, Regis for a while has been telling people they're going to be his fans there. I'm not sure how he gets to that conclusion, but you know, he's, he's going with it. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be really cool. And I think it's going to make this event, uh, even bigger. So as far as the fight itself, uh, you know, I, Devin Haney takes a lot of stick for, I, well, I guess I should say I don't really know why. I don't know why Devin Hay takes a lot of stick. I mean, Devin, you know, gets criticized for uh, some of the decisions he's made as a pro, but I think the decisions he's made have been pretty damn good. And I think Devin has proven over the last couple of years that he's going to seek out the biggest and best opportunities. And when he gets them, he's going to, uh, you know, make sure they happen, whether it's going twice to Australia for the Cambosis fights, fighting Vasily Lomachenko in his first, you know, non-Cambosis title defense at 135, then jumping up to 140. People can talk about Shakur Stevenson, and yeah, that would have been a great fight. You're not going to tell me that, you know, Regis Progre is some kind of step down from a Shakur Stevenson fight. I mean, Regis Progre, you know, is arguably the number one guy at 140 pounds. Been there for a really long time. Coming off, uh, you know, the last, his last win wasn't great, or at least wasn't aesthetically pleasing, but the fight before that just absolutely stomped Jose Zepeda in reclaiming uh, his titles. I, I don't really know why Devin Haney takes the kind of stick uh, that he takes in the boxing world, but I give him a lot of credit for, you know, vacating his titles, moving up, and, you know, taking on arguably the top guy in the 140-pound division. What do you think? He does take a lot of criticism. He's a polarizing guy for sure, Chris, and the only thing that I can really get to as to why is is his style I, I think people you know he look it's been effective for him he's he's at the elite level for sure i think his style because he clinches a lot i think turns people off a little bit because there's not really anything else to not like about him uh, to me he's a very likable person look he he's braggadocious and you know he flaunts the wealth and all that kind of stuff that's what boxers do i mean that's not uncommon so he's not unlike any boxer he seems like a pretty you know pretty nice kid to me i mean he doesn't you know he doesn't say any you know he had a little a brief problem with the law and everything but like he's not always in trouble he's not he doesn't there doesn't seem to be anything about him that would make him unlikable except maybe the style in which he fights sometimes 
I think that's it, really, because you can't argue with how he's gone about his career. The path he has taken to Saturday night is is pretty incredible. He not only signed up to fight George Cambosis in Australia once, he signed up to do it twice, went there and beat him convincingly in back-to-back fights. And whatever anyone thinks of the outcome of the Vasily Lomachenko fight, and I'll be the first one to say it probably could have gone either way, um, he beat Vasily Lomachenko and then goes up to 140 in his first fight. He says... Yeah, I'll, I'll fight Progre, who's a killer. I mean, the, the bottom line is Regis Progre has lost one time in his career. Whatever people think about Progre's style and that Haney might outbox him and all that kind of stuff, Regis Progre has lost one time, and it was a majority decision to the guy who eventually became the undisputed 140-pound champion. So what problem could people have with Devin Haney's – what he the, the willingness he has shown to take tough fights or to go into – tough circumstances like going to Australia twice and fighting a guy in his backyard. Um, There's not much there not to like. And again, it's not like he's some, you know, like he's a jerk or anything like there's no other thing that I can think of other than his, the style in which he fights. And it's not always the most aesthetically pleasing style. And I think that's probably more what it is than anything, because there's not anything else that's really identifiable that's there. No, and he does clinch. That's that's true. Um, he's not a runner though. Like he's a boxer. Like he'll mm-hmm. he, he's not like runners we saw with Danielito Zaria in the last fight for Regis Procre. That was a runner. That's not who Devin Haney is. He is a boxer, and he's not going to stand there and go toe to toe with you. But he is going to, you know, use angles. You know, use the entirety of the ring at times. Yeah. But he's not going to you know, be on his bike the entire fight. That's not how he wins fight. This is a pretty compelling fight, I think. I mean, Devin Haney, I'm actually surprised how big a favorite he yeah. was originally listed at. It was at 1.4 to 1. I'm kind of looking at it going, I like Devin Haney, but Devin has had some problems in recent fights against Southpaws. He took some shots against Jojo Diaz. He took some shots against Vasily Lomachenko. Regis Progre is a Southpaw. Regis Progre is the biggest punching Southpaw that Devin Haney has ever faced and look if he is disciplined and he boxes i can easily see devin haney winning a 9-3 decision i can see that happening but even in fights where devin haney is winning convincingly he's been hit i mean the 10th round of his fight with Jorge lenaris he was winning that fight probably eight to one going into that 10th and he winds up getting clipped in the 10th round and on his bike in the 11th as he tries to recover so I, I think this is a, 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 it's not a 50-50 fight. I do think Devin Haney deserves to be a slight favorite. But at some point, Regis Progre, I think, is going to drag Devin Haney into a kind of a fight, like a brawl. At some point, that kind of fight is going to devolve. And then we're going to see what kind of chin Devin Haney has. Like, can he hold up to the kind of power that Regis Progre has? Because Regis is a very unorthodox fighter. He's going to come in from odd angles, he's going to throw punches, kind of from odd positions, the over-the-top, the sweeping sort of shots. Um, I think at some point during this fight, it's going to get real interesting. And, and then we'll see, you know, just how, how, what Devin Haney's got in those moments. Yeah, I agree with what you said, Chris. And also, I think one of the biggest factors going into this fight for Regis Progre is how does he deal with the clinching? Because inevitably there's going to be a lot of clinching in this fight. He can't leave it strictly up to the referee to do that for him. He's, I'm sure with Bobby Benton throughout training camp, they've done this throughout camp uh you have to know how to get out of clinches yourself 
and to free yourself. You can't leave it up to the referee. And then, you you know, because then you get into a situation where you're complaining to the referee, you're not fully focused on the fight. He's got to be able to free himself and allow himself to punch when Devin Haney inevitably tries to clinch him because he does it in every fight. This is, it is going to happen, particularly with a guy who's a huge puncher. So uh, Devin Haney has said, and this could just be pre-fight bluster, but he did say that I'm going to surprise people with the way that I fight. Regis Progre is limited to doing X. He's you know he's going to try to land one big shot. There's no way that he can outbox me. I'm too good. I'm too smart. He can't do it. And then he's going to be left to be just winging wild shots trying to take me out, and it's not going to happen. We all know that that's what Regis Progre is going to do, according to what Devin Haney said. They don't know what I'm going to do. I'll be interested to see if he actually fulfills that that promise. He didn't say what he was going to do, obviously, but I would like to see if he fights differently. But I do think it's going to be a lot of boxing. And, you know, like you said, he's not a runner necessarily, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of jab and grab type of stuff going on. And it's incumbent upon Regis Prograde to prevent that from happening because he's he's going to lose a fight like that if he allows Devin Haney to do that. Can I tell you one of the things that concerns me about Progray coming into this? Um, he's been training in Los Angeles for this fight. First time he's had kind of a full training camp in L.A. at Brickhouse Boxing. Julian Shua, uh, who's become a notable trainer in recent years, is going to be in his corner for this fight, along with Bobby Benton, who's been his trainer for, for a number of years now. When I asked Regis Progray who's going to be kind of his chief second, he said it's both of them. It's, it's Bobby and it's Julian. Whenever I hear that, Keith... It, it does raise a little bit of an alarm because you know only one guy can be the chief second. Only one guy can be the, uh, the 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 strongest voice in the corner. And just by it, it's also been a weird camp. Like he goes to L.A., Bobby's not there for some time. Like he's going back to Texas for a couple of weeks. He's working with Bobby. Bobby goes to L.A. and now he's working with him in the weeks before. You know. You ask Regis, and Regis says, look, everything's great. Like, Bobby and Julian are on the same page. The strategy's going to be, uh, they're in lockstep with all that. But Regis has also said, and maybe he's full of it with this, that he says, I'm going to outbox Devin. That's not going to happen. If Regis goes out there and tries to win a clinical boxing match with Devin, he's going to lose like 11 to 1. It's just, it's just that's just not his game. Um, do you think there's any reason for concern having kind of two different voices in your corner and not necessarily making it clear at least publicly who that number one voice is going to be yeah regis has trained in the la area before but not with you know two train you know not having two right. trainers but he has trained out there before but i think because bobby benton was with oshaki foster and oshaki had a fight in early november maybe that was part of why that was going on uh at the same time yeah you're always concerned when there are too many voices and you don't know who the lead voice is in the corner if there's any discrepancy about that uh you would hope that doesn't create any uh chemistry issue in his corner because you really need that time especially when things are not going well and there will be points in this fight when you know he loses rounds and everything um where he's going to need that concise direction on what to do so you would hope that that doesn't become a factor i'm not sure what to make of it i was it was it's a little surprising to me honestly but uh you know bobby's been uh with regis throughout his career so um you know hopefully it's not a factor in the fight you know we obviously know who's who's the lead voice in devin haney's corner there's no no uh, two ways about that so that's not an issue for him uh one other thing that regis did tell me uh during the build-up to the fight chris that i found interesting was he's he was like look you know I wanted a hometown fight. It was it was great that I did it. 
He goes, I don't want that anymore. He goes, let let Devin Haney deal. He he said he had so many problems dealing with tickets. He told me a story that like there was a lot of, I don't know what, what was going on. Like maybe they didn't have the exact amount of tickets that they were supposed to have on the day of the fight. He said he went to his mom's house on the day of the fight to sort out some sort of ticket issue in the afternoon of the fight. That's not really what a fighter's supposed to be doing on the day of the fight. So Regis's point was, and he wasn't, you know, trying to excuse away. He was just saying that these hometown fights aren't all they're cracked up to be sometimes. And he said, even though Devin Haney hasn't spent a lot of time in San Francisco, he was raised in Oakland before he moved to Nevada. But um, let him deal with all that, all those distractions. I can just come in and do my thing and focus on the fight and not have to worry about all that stuff, going, that outside noise that was problematic before my last fight. Yeah, that... Zaria fight was weird for a number of reasons. I think the hometown factor was a variable in that. Um, I think for 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 him having uh, the change of opponents as it was, you know, it was supposed to be Liam Paro originally. That was changed to Danielita Zaria. Then Zaria, you kind of thought that Zaria was going to be someone that stood and traded with him, at least previous versions of Zaria had been that guy and all of a sudden he's on his bike running around there. So that was a kind of a confluence of, of events, I think for, for Regis Brown. I think you're going to see a much better version of him uh, in this fight uh, on, on Saturday night. A uh, couple things before I let you go. Jaime Munguia is going to fight John Ryder in the end of January. We'll get into the mechanics of that fight down the line, but there's a lot of chatter now, Keith, that if Munguia wins, he is going to be the opponent for Canelo Alvarez in May of 2024. Um, Two questions. Are you buying that, that Munguia is in the mix to fight Canelo in May? And if Canelo chooses Munguia, is he facing some backlash for not choosing the other Mexican that everybody wants in the face? That being, of course, David Benavidez. As much as we all want to see Canelo fight Benavidez next because it's the fight, and this maybe in boxing, right? Forget about the super middleweight division. It's the fight people want to see the most. It is not happening next. So we can talk about it on the podcast. Everyone can, <laughs> fans can flood the forums. And I agree all this with other you. Stuff. I've always it agreed with you on that one. It's not happening next. I'm not saying it won't ever happen because from what I've been led to believe, as you have as well, Canelo has kind of let Al Heyman know that he would like that to be the third fight of his deal with PBC, which would then leave Benavidez to fight someone else in between. Um, I don't, so I don't think Benavidez will be next. And, and I almost get the sense that Benavidez and his handler, Samson Lukowitz, his dad and everybody, they're kind of resigned to knowing that he's not fighting Canelo next. That They're saying all the right things and trying to goad Canelo into it, but they know that he's not fighting him next. So I think the two most realistic options for Canelo, his May 4th fight, assuming he comes back on that date, um, are Munguia because it would be a huge fight among Mexicans. It would require... PBC to work with Golden Boy and Zanfer, and that's not always easy, but they have done it. Uh, so it, it's a possibility, obviously. And then people don't want to hear this based on what happened on September 30th, but Jamal Charlo, by winning this fight against Jose Benavidez Jr., is in the mix to fight Canelo because he's clearly not fighting it despite what he said. I don't think he's going to go back down to middleweight. The guy just weighed almost 167 pounds uh, a week and a half ago. So I don't think that he's going to to go back down to 160 to fight Janabek or for, for what? I mean, he's not, you know, the money, if he's going to fight Canelo or, you know, Caleb Plant or someone like that, it makes no sense 
for him to go fight uh, Janabek or you know Ar- the winner of Erislandi Lara and Danny Garcia. It's stupid. So it, he so he'll fight at one sixty eight, which seems to be the direction he's headed. So those are the two options. I don't love. Either. I'd rather see him fight Benavidez, just like everybody else. But um, don't love either option. But the Munguia fight. It, it would be huge among Mexicans because, you know, it's on Cinco de Mayo weekend. And despite what Canelo has said about not wanting to fight another Mexican, he's fought other Mexicans before and will mm-hmm. continue to do so. Uh, so I could see that happening. It's not a all that hard of a fight for Canelo. Unfortunately, it's kind of looked at as a as a gimme almost based on what happened with Mungi and his fight against Drevianchenko. And you, have to, you know, John Ryder gave Canelo a real fight. Whatever Canelo's rationale for that was, John, yeah, he lost virtually every round, but it was a real fight. He got up from a fifth-round knockdown. He certainly didn't embarrass himself in that fight. And frankly, Jaime Munguia is not nearly as good as Canelo, so there's no reason to think that John Ryder couldn't be very competitive with him. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens there, Chris. But as it relates to Munguia removing Canelo from the equation, the fight that you and I had spoken about and many other people had spoken about was him fighting Edgar Berlanga. And now he's fighting John Ryder and Edgar Berlanga is fighting Patrick McCrory. And what is happening? Like, (laughs) I mean, Jesus, you can't even make that fight. Oh, and if you believe Edgar Berlanga's team now, they're the ones that want the fight. It's Munguia that doesn't want the fight. Uh, Munguia trying to line up a fight against Canelo. I don't know where DAZN factors into all this. I can't imagine DAZN letting Munguia just walk without a a pretty strong opinion on it mm-hmm. towards Golden Boy because they have paid Munguia a boatload of money right. over the last six right. years to fight nobodies. Nobodies. You know, since yeah. since his days at 154, he has been fighting at DAZN. And he's been making seven figures in a lot of those fights. And uh, I don't imagine that DAZN would be happy if he walked to fight Canelo on another platform, which kind of brings me to the last thing that I was going to ask you about. Like, if Canelo fights Bungia, on what? You know, Crawford, Errol Spence, we're hearing that first quarter of next year. On what? I've heard some rumblings about a January date for PBC. On what? Uh, <laughs> as we sit here in early December, a month to go in 2023, do you think there's any clarity in what PBC is going to do in 2024? Well, Amazon is certainly going to be part of it. In, yeah. In- what capacity we don't know that yet there will be some pay-per-view fights i think there will also be some content on amazon uh, on on the streaming service so uh we're hoping for that to all play out or or to be announced here in the next week or two uh from what i was told today i mean there is no there's not a firm date for their next move being announced but they are hoping that it comes within the next you know before christmas obviously i mean showtime's last show is a week from Saturday night, you know, maybe they're going to wait until Showtime is officially out of the business before they announce their next platform. That could be, and that would be the week before Christmas, but it would kind of get swallowed up that week from the pay-per-view event in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I, I don't know. So I, the, the answer that I was given today by people on the inside was that we don't know when this is going to be announced. There's something to announce. We just don't know when it's going to be announced. So that's kind of the holding pattern that we're in. Um, but it's look from a fan's perspective, the bigger fights are going to be on pay-per-view. So you're still being asked to go into your pocket for a sizable amount of money far too regularly. I do think Keith, that Amazon is going to play a bigger role than just pay-per-view. That has been the information that was relayed to me 
in the last couple of weeks. Now, I, I don't think it's going to be, in fact, I'm very certain it's not going to be a Showtime-like distribution deal or a DAZN-like distribution deal. But I do think there will be some money for PBC to put on non-pay-per-view shows on Amazon. I'm not entirely clear on how many, what the budget for them will be, how much Amazon is ultimately going to put in. Uh, dealing with tech companies, and you and I have discussed this in the past, is very different. Tech companies do not need you. You know, the, the Amazon got in bed with the NFL because the NFL brings real value to them. Amazon's trying to get in bed with the NBA because the NBA would bring real value to them. I don't think boxing necessarily brings real value to Amazon, but I think there's some interest in taking a flyer on some things that PPC might be willing to do in, in 2024. So I think that's going to be an element uh, to all this. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, I, you know, I've been kind of hearing the same things you are, that, that something is coming down the pipe with, with PPC, um, what it is. I think at the very least, I think we can both agree that the pay-per-view distribution will largely be picked up by Amazon. They'll do a lot of pay-per-views on Amazon, uh, or the, some of their pay-per-views at least on Amazon, uh, next year. Beyond that, I'll be very interested to see what they're, able to put together because they have a lot of fighters out there, Keith, that are looking for dates. Guys that are on social media. I saw Stephen Fulton the other day on social media saying, like, I want to fight. Like, these guys want to get back out there and uh, what Al does next is going to provide them a pathway or not to get back out there. And there's going to be some market correction, Chris, in the sense that oh, fighter, yeah. fighters are going to have to accept less money. I mean, the days of getting... You know, whatever you're getting to, to fight on Showtime or Fox or whatever, those days are gone now. And look, you know, I work for the company that just got out of boxing, right? And it's going to negatively impact our website and a lot of things. So continuing to do the things the same way is is just not going to happen, right? I mean, because people are going to want more return on their money and they're just not going to pay what's been paid in the past. Now, maybe on the pay-per-view fights, you know, of course the guys are going to get their upside and all that kind of stuff. But I think the guaranteed purses for fighting on Amazon or wherever else are going to, are going to be less. And guys, look, here, here, here's what's available to you. Do you want to take it or not? Mm -hmm. If you don't, well, you can continue sitting and you make nothing. And I'm not, that's the harsh reality that a lot of these fighters are going to face in 2024. Yeah, be an interesting year in boxing, that's for sure. Follow Keith Idek on Twitter at Idek Boxing. Read all his stuff on the Haney Pro Gray fight all week over at boxingscene.com. Keith, I will see you in San Francisco on Thursday, my friend. <laughs> you got it, man. I'll see you out there, Chris. And when we come back, my conversation with Regis Pro Gray. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. All right, Regis Progray is the WBC 140-pound title holder on December 9th. He will defend his belt against Devin Haney, the former undisputed 135-pound champion. It's a fight you can watch live on DAZN pay-per-view in the U.S., part of your subscription over in the U.K. So, Regis, the last big fight that you were in was against Josh Taylor back in, what was it, 2019. Does this fight feel bigger? No, it actually doesn't. No, no, no. Um, I, I feel like the Josh Taylor fight was bigger um, it was, you know, it was, it just felt bigger. I mean, you know, I think Devin is a, you know, Devin is a big name and stuff like that, but I felt like the Josh Taylor, I did feel like the Josh Taylor fight was bigger just because, um, you know, I went to a whole different country. It was in, you know, we was in the finals for the super series and I went to a whole different country. So it did feel, it just had a, it had a bigger, it just had a bigger feel to it for me. Does, does that experience going through that with Josh Taylor give you any kind of, of advantage going into this fight? I think so. It does, you know, because I, it's like I've been through it. You know, they say you learn from your, you you learn more from your failures than you learn from, you know, your wins and stuff like that. So, um, it definitely gives me way more of an. I feel way more of an advantage, you know, going into this. You know, it, like experiencing that and like experiencing it on a whole different level. You know, like I experienced it. You know, for me, I experienced that on a level where. You know, I had to go to a whole different country. You know, it wasn't just, you know, fighting in somebody's back. It was fighting in a whole different country. And I was over there for, you know, like I said, I think I was over there for like a month and a half or something like that. So it, it definitely gives me um a different, you know, a different experience. So the face-off between you two guys has just taken off. It had more than half a million views in the first a uh, couple of days. Matchroom posted it mm-hmm. on its social page. Um, yeah, I was obviously there with you guys for that. And, and honestly... I can't tell if there is a genuine beef between you and Devin Haney because at times it sure as hell looks like you don't like him. At times, though, it looks like you kind of like him and you're having a little bit of fun with him at the same time. So how would you describe it? It's both. You know, like it is. I think it's beef because we fight each other. You know, I like I don't. I don't like him, right? I don't. I don't like him, the Haynes. I don't like Bill. I don't like none of the Haynes right now because we have to fight. You know, it's not like I don't like him as a person and I like that, but I don't like him right now. I don't. You know, I, it's like I'm disgusted with him right now because I have to fight him. When you, when you, when you have to fight somebody, that's just how you have to be. You know, I can't. Oh, I can't just say, oh, I like him and I'm cool with him. Nah, like we, we about to fight. So no, I don't like him right now. I don't. You know, he disgusts me right now. His team, they, they disgust me right now because we have to fight. I can't. I can't think of them as friends right now you know so um as far as genuine beef like for me i come from a different 
I come I come from a different atmosphere. So when beef mean will beef will mean mean something different. You know, we talk about something just totally different. So nah, it's not like that type of beef. But yeah, fighting wise, nah, I, we we got to fight, and I don't like them. So I guess it is beef in y'all world. You know, you you and your trainer during the the press conference and you know over the last couple of weeks have kind of pushed this narrative that. You know, Devin's kind of a, a different kind of fighter. You know, your trainer called his career kind of choreographed. You use the word manufactured to describe Devin Haney. What do you mean by that? What do you guys mean by that? I just, well, I don't, I mean, my, my trainer, he, I'm not gonna lie, he goes off the deep end sometimes. He says all <laughs> kinds of stuff, you know, that's, he, man, he been in more, he been on more interviews than me right now, to be honest. He been just talking, 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 you know, for me. I just think he had an easier route than he did have an easier route than me for sure. You know, that's what I mean by manufacture. Like I came up the hard route. I did. Like I had to, you know, I used to fight for, you know, a dollar check and stuff like that, you know, and I came up the hard route. I had to beat, I had to beat like undefeated fighter after undefeated fighter to get where I'm at. And, you know, I didn't get signed right off the top, you know, and for me, he had it, you know, he had it easy, you know, he had, um, even at the face-off, I was like, man, how many jobs you had? You know, like, he's never had a job in his whole life, you know? Like, that's crazy to me. Like, I used to, like, to get where I'm at, man, I really grinded. I really bust my ass to get where I'm at. And, um, working jobs with a fam with a with a, a a family with a wife and a kid and i had to work and i still had to you know do this and i still had to train like i'm training right now and he never had that he never experienced that so that's what i mean like manufacture like you never had to do you just never had to do what i had to do you had to you had the easier route you know i'm not gonna say he had an easy road but he definitely had an easier than i did coming up for sure so let's talk a little bit about your training for this fight because one of the things you've said over the last few weeks is that you are very much capable about boxing, Devin Haney. I think everybody knows you've got the power advantage in this fight, but you believe you've mm -hmm. got the skills advantage as well, that you have have that ability in you. Is is any of that kind of a Jedi mind trick you're trying to play on Devin no, Haney here? No, I, I feel like that. No, I, I actually feel, I, I know I have the skills. To, I cannot box Devin. I mean, people, like, I don't, I don't go, I'm not, I don't believe what the people say. The people can say oh, this, the people can say that, the media can say all kinds of stuff. I don't believe that. I believe in myself truly 100%. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I truly believe I'm, I'm, be I'm a better fighter. I, I really believe I'm a better fighter overall, you know, but the thing is like, you know, with him, he has to show that over 12 rounds. I, I hurt people. I know what I do. I hurt people and but I can, you know, I can box if I need to, I can box and stuff like that. But if I catch somebody clean, most likely I'm gonna hurt them and it might be over. So, you know, I think that's why it's, um, it's a little difference because, you know, he don't knock nobody. He's known for going 12 rounds. He has to. But, you know, me, I'm, I stop people. Uh, you're training in LA for this fight. Is this the first time you've trained in LA? No, this is the longest though. Um, I, I've actually been out here a total of like two months. Mm -hmm. You know, I started, I really, man, it's, it's been a long camp. I started in Texas. Um, I've been like in camp for four months for this fight already. So it's like kind of like double. And I've been here, you know, I started out there in Texas. Then I came here for a month. Then I went back to Texas for my kid's birthday. I stayed for three weeks and I'm out here for another month. So total, I've been out here for like two months in, um, in LA. And, you know, it's just, just because I'm so serious about this fight, you know, I never did, I never did this before. I only, usually I come to LA, I'll stay about two weeks, two or three weeks and that's it. But this time I stayed for two months. So yeah, I'm just, it's just a, it's just a big difference right now was, you know, I'm just, I'm so serious about this. This, this is a, you know, this is the, this is a big fight. So I'm just serious about my training and just taking everything like I need to. And I feel like the, you know, just like sparring out here is, I, I think I'm not going to say better, but you know, I had some really good, I, 
I started sparring out here and I had some really good um sparring partners. So I was like, man, I'm gonna just I'm gonna stay in LA. So what's your corner gonna look like for this fight? Because you've got a long-standing training relationship with Bobby Benton. You've been out here in LA working with Julian Chua and the people at Brickhouse. Mm-hmm. What's it gonna look like on fight night? Well, Bobby and Julian. It'll be Bobby and Julian. Julian and Bobby, they they, you know, they same thing, working together hand in hand and and that's how it's gonna be. Does I mean that you say both, but does there need to be just one voice? Or are you comfortable with you know a couple? I mean, I think it's gonna be no. Nah, I'm, I'm comfortable with a couple. I mean, I think last fight it was too many. It was like four people talking to me last fight. But I think like I'm I'm cool with a couple, just like it is in sparring. You know, like you know, most of the time right now in sparring, Julian, you know, he been saying you know one thing, he been saying the first words, and then you know Bobby will come on the back end and stuff like that. Most of the time, you know, they agree on what I need to do, so it that's how it'll be. So let's talk about the last fight. You defended your title against Danielito Zaria. Uh, you've said many times it was a bad fight, not your best performance. Uh, when you look back at that fight, how much of the ugliness of it do you put on Zaria, and how much of it do you put on yourself? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's more myself. I mean, <laughs> because I'm the fighter, I should have definitely went out there and stopped him. You know, it's not, um, but yeah, he went out there. He just came to survive. He came to run around to survive. And, you know, and then on, on top of me, just not coming off the ring. You know, the thing is like we, um, well, I don't really watch too many tapes, but you know, my coach watched tapes on him and, you know, everything he just, he was there, you know, but this fight, you know, and so I had sparring partners that, you know, that was, you know, that was there for me, you know, and like he just literally ran around the ring. I mean, not all like they boxed a little bit, but he literally just ran around the ring. And so that's I was just for me, just chased him around. You know, it was something that we just didn't work on. And obviously I know how to cut the ring off. But, you know, just like I said, have, having an off night, being in New Orleans, all that is just this was a bad night. He did fight very differently than I thought he was going to. His previous fights, he had banged a little bit. He had some power. Mm-hmm. I had never seen him move as much as he did against you. Right. Yeah, exactly. He. That's what I'm saying. We we watched him, and they 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 picked him because, like, he was a last-minute replacement. He came in, like, three weeks, so, you know, three weeks before the fight. So, yeah, he just – and his team actually said that. They said, we came just to survive. We came just to run. So, it was – yeah, it was it was bad. You know, Devin has said that he called you out well before that fight took place. But if you had knocked Zuria out in the first round or the second round, do you think we'd be here right now? No, no. This is a blessing. It, I keep telling people, man, if anybody to thank for this fight is Daniel Lethal Zaria. <laughs> is anybody to thank for this fight? If I would have knocked Zaria out, Devin would not be fighting me, man. I'll be fighting my mandatory or something like that. Not even a big fight. But now, because of that happened, you know, I'm fighting, you know, I'm fighting Devin on, you know, probably the biggest fight and in the year. So yeah, man, like I'm 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 just glad that it happened. It's a for me it is a blessing in disguise. And you know, and like even like going into last camp, you know, my friend my friends is here with me and stuff and they were like man last camp just so different from this fight like this camp like last camp it was just like just kind of going through the motions and that's kind of how i felt too and this camp is everybody's excited you know and i'm obviously i'm the most excited so it's just a it's, it's just a different feel on just all around Devin's coming off that win over lomachenko a win that a lot of people have questioned in the aftermath what did you think of it i'm not gonna at first i thought he lost at first then i kind of went back and rewatched and stuff like that and i thought i thought he pulled it off i think it was if it was just a if it was just a devin and just a lomachenko then 
maybe Loma could have won. But Devin was the champion, you know. So you have to do – I think you have to do more than that to get it from the champion, you know. But everywhere I went – so I was in New Orleans watching that fight, and I went – like I went to like a bar or something like that. And everybody was like, man, he lost that fight. Man, boxing is rigged. He lost, He really lost that fight and all that stuff. And that's what people were saying. But it was a close fight. Devin was the champion. So I think he deserved to keep his belts. Now, if it was just, if it, like I said, if it wasn't no belts involved, then maybe Loma could have, you know, put could have pulled it off. But Devin was the champion. I don't think Loma did enough to, to win it. And of all the fights to say boxing is rigged, that's not one of them. When you have a close mm -hmm. fight and it goes 15-13 one way, 15-13 the other. That is, in my mind, that is right. not a robbery. That is not stealing a fight, rigging a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the average fan, they don't know. You know, the average <laughs> fan. I was, like I said, I was in a bar in New Orleans and they was like, they was, oh, boxing the rig. I'm not watching boxing no more. And, you know, he really lost this fight. And that's what they were saying. But, you know, people, a lot of fans just don't understand. That's just how it is. You are a very different fighter than Lomachenko, just like you're a very different fighter than Jojo Diaz. But both those guys hit Devin with left hands. Do you see, not that you're going to fight the same way, but do you see how they were doing it? Do you see weaknesses in Devin's game that leaves him open for that particular shot? I do. I really do. That's what I'm saying. We see, I, I think Devin is not a defensive fighter. That's the thing. He's not, people saying he's this and he's that. I think um, people believe in like the hype and I'm just one of those people that I just don't believe in. I don't believe in the hype. I honestly think it's not going to be a hard fight to be honest. I really don't see it being a hard fight for me, um, especially once I start landing. So yeah, I, I see that he gets hit. I just, I just know one thing. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to tell no game plans and stuff like that, but I know one thing that if I land those same shots that Loma did, that JoJo did, that Lenores did, Devin's going to be out of them. I just know that, you know, like I'm one of the biggest punches at 140, you know, and man, I just, I know that if I, when I win, I land, it's not going to be pretty. All right. So last question for you. If you win this fight and Eddie Hearn comes to you the next week and says, look, we can make a fight with Ryan Garcia or we can make a fight with Subriel Matias. Which one would you choose? Ryan Garcia, bigger name, obviously. It's a bigger name, yeah. I mean, the most, I told people what I want. I want the biggest fights. I want the biggest fights, the most money. That's it, you know? So, yeah, either one. But if he tell me Subriel Matias is more money than Ryan, then we get Subriel Matias. <laughs> like, I'm going to say, all right, Ryan or Subriel, who is the biggest money, Eddie? What are we going to do? What's the biggest money? If he says Subriel is the biggest, Sabria, if he say Ryan is the biggest, then Ryan. So it's it's all for me. I just want I want the biggest fights. So you know it doesn't matter the names. I just I literally just want the biggest fights. What do you think of Matias? He's coming off that win over Ergashev, and he's starting to get kind of that public reputation as like the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. Nobody's gonna want to fight this guy. Too big, too I'm gonna strong. Fight him. <laughs> I'll fight him. I'm to I'll fight him. So he said he actually fought on one of my undercards, I think, in New Orleans or something like that. And he said he called me out. But I, I literally I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who this dude was at, at all. You know, and then he was calling me out, same thing, and then he um he won a belt. So it's like, all right, now my eyes are open. And so then, you know, last weekend, you know, he won he won again. So it's like, all right, if now he's became he's becoming um a bigger name. So yeah, I'll definitely fight him. I told you I want the biggest the belts and the biggest names, the biggest fights. That's what I want, you know. So that's it. Oh, big one coming up on December 9th. Uh it's gonna be a great week, great event, huge, huge night. Tickets are selling like crazy. I think the pay-per-view is gonna do really well uh, as well. Regis, good luck to you, man. I'll see you during fight week. All right, brother. See you.
That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Ideck and Regis Prograde for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I will see you later in the week. Thank you so much. I go sleep. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.